Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. Have you ever like looked in the mirror and been like, man, I don't like the way I look or, you know, I'm not living up to my potential or looked at your bank account and thought, man, why is it so small? Or looked at your social life and been like, why am I alone? Um, my guest today has is like crushing it and achieving success in all these areas. And I think we've all like been there in the stance of we have those times where we look at our life and we're like, man, why is it like this? And it doesn't matter how big it is or how awesome it is. We have moments where we like are comparing it to other people. We're judging it based on how it should or shouldn't be. But ultimately, like that voice in our head is like kind of, you know, slapping us around with the negative ideas, the limiting beliefs. And, you know, when I when I was starting to think about this episode and the guest that was going to join us today, his brand is called Billion Dollar Body. And the first thing I was like was like, damn, what is a billion dollar body? Like, I'll take a million dollar body. What is a billion dollar body? And when you think about like money, a billion dollars versus a million dollars is astronomical. Like we, we actually, our brain can't even comprehend the amount of difference. It like doesn't even register. And if I think about billion dollar relationships, I mean, I think I've had some pretty great relationships, but like, what's a billion dollar relationship? So we're going to get into this and, and discover this and learn about this and see how it's like achieved and what it even looks like. And I'm really excited because my guest today is just up to, I want to say big things, but it's like billion dollar things. Um, he's just crushing it all over. So let me give you a little about him. He, his journey starts with losing 60 pounds, like being 60 pounds overweight, graduating high school with a 1.8 GPA. I don't even know you could graduate high school with a 1.8 GPA. Um, he's been featured in Forbes and Entrepreneur. He speaks on stages like Funnel Hacking Live. If you're into social media or online, you may have like run across him on some, whether it be on his or featured on somewhere someone else's. As I said, his brand is Billion Dollar Body, and you can find like all things related to that at thebilliondollarbody.com. My guest today is Nicholas Barely. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. And yeah, the only way you can graduate from high school to 1.8 is if you go to summer school every single year, every single chance that you get, <laughs> and you take college elective courses with high school credit. That's the only way that you can do it. It was pretty embarrassing. So you're really motivated, just not just not in terms of the grades. You're like, I got to graduate. I've never been good. Yeah. Never been good at doing things that I didn't know the reason why. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like in the blood of every entrepreneur is I just always was like, why? And when people can answer those questions for me and how is it going to contribute to my future, I never did it. Health, relationship, when it came to school, nothing like that. So I've always – that's always actually been a strength of mine. And yeah, billion-dollar body, man. Like you think about billion 
And so many times I'm thinking about with a body, what's it worth? The thing is, it's like we've been given this asset, our body, for free. And without human investment, there is no human appreciation. So because we didn't invest, but imagine if you had to make an $85,000 a month payment on your body, how would you all of a sudden treat it? Would you take care of it? Because now you feel the pain. Mm -hmm. Same with a car. I look at like a Honda Civic. Sorry for the people out there that drive it. But like you look at a Honda Civic compared to a Ferrari, it's going to be different detail, different paint. You're going to have different style fuel that you put in it, different style oil. I think it's like what, $10,000 maintenance or something like that on a Ferrari, even if you don't drive it every single year. And you put high like quality boat, things it's into like it. It's like a boat life, right? Like people that get boats, it's expensive. People are like, you're throwing away money, but maybe, or maybe it has you pay. And when you pay, you pay attention. So we've been given this asset that is worth over a billion dollars that if we had to pay for it, everyone would be walking around with no limbs because they couldn't afford it, right? And we've been given this asset that we experience all goodness in life and everything. So when I look at it, it's not creating a billion dollar body or creating a million dollar body. It's realizing that you already have one and treating it as if. Because then all of a sudden the investment in $800 or $500 or healthier food, the difference between cents becomes very simple. And then all of a sudden we start creating this new reality. That I believe is a starting point. For me, that was a starting point for me was the health. It's the only thing that has to has nothing to do with everyone else. Think about business, relationships. Other people are out there. They can wrong you. They can say no to you. There can be an economic downfall. But no one's going to eat, sleep, drink, breathe, exercise for you. And no one can stop you. It's all up to us. It's a starting ground of success. How did let's let's like go for people that don't know who you are and and like how do you even because you just dropped like I love you you literally said what you pay you pay or where you pay you pay attention or when you pay you pay attention which is brilliant. Where did this come from? Like, what's the evolution? How did you get here? Who are your teachers? Like, where did this all evolve out of? Totally, and everything evolved out of failure. And that's the thing is like now, why am I confident about saying the results we've created? Because I wasn't like that. And so when I grew up, I was grew up in a regular home, like just actually 20 minutes down the road here. Mm-hmm. It's where I grew up, inland San Diego. And I, my parents broke up when I was four. Seven years old, I wrote my first suicide letter. My mom hated my dad. My dad hated my mom. They decided all of a sudden to become friends after I turned 18. Like it's the most random thing. They're like, we're never going to talk to each other again after you turn 18. And then all of a sudden, like that's when they became friends. So they didn't like each other. I didn't know. Like, imagine being a kid. Your mom's talking crap about your dad. Dad's talking crap about your mom. And you're like, what am I supposed to believe? And so that just led me through these problems of social anxiety. My brother's six years older than me, always running away from home. So I have no clue how to process all these emotions. I had mass anxiety in third grade. I literally had diarrhea every day. And so I had to run out of the class, which my teacher thought, like, we get taught, like, kids going out of school, they're doing bad things. So she thinks I'm in the bathroom, like, running away from school or something. So she's leaving the classroom, knocking on the bathroom. And just imagine little Nicholas, third grade. Yeah, it's like more anxiety. Yeah, dude. The only way I didn't have anxiety is if I counted every screw on the inside of the bathroom. Like, this is – I was, like, jacked up, right? So – but during this time, my dad was my biggest mentor still. Even though he's hard on me, super hard on me, biggest mentor, and I want to be a professional motocross racer. So that was like my dream. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. I told you about his flood restoration company. And shout out to him, Clean Day Carpet Care. And (laughs) still around to this day over 30 years. And I just remember like he wanted to be a motocross racer. His dad never helped him with that. So what did he do to me? The constant thing that baby boomers do right now, which is they give their kids the life, the exact opposite life that they had. Mm -hmm. So if their parents are one way, they just flip the exact opposite and they don't know what the repercussions are. 
So my dad really wanted to be a motocross racer. And so he decided, I'm going to give Nicholas everything that I wanted. The problem with that is if you give someone something that they didn't desire, but you desired it, they're never going to act the way that you would have acted. So if my dad would have got a motorcycle when he wanted it so bad, he would have been so grateful. So he has this expectation on me of how I should react, even though I had no desire for the thing. So I get the motorcycle and I'm like, what's this? Like, this is awesome. What is it? And he's like, well, why aren't you great? Like, why aren't you more excited about this? And just real quick on a little side note, five years old or four years old, I got my first motorcycle. Two years old, I was the youngest kid in the world to start racing bicycles. So I started racing bicycles at two, got a motorcycle at four. My dad never showed me where the brakes were. So he starts <laughs> up a motorcycle Christmas morning. And just imagine, I jump on, he's like, put on your helmet. And I just go full throttle as fast as the thing could go, never knew where the brakes were until I went to the other side of the street, hit the curb, flew off the front of it, landed in the grass. Like, I started in a very interesting place with motocross. So that's what I wanted to do. And I thought for my dad's approval, what I had to do was do whatever he liked. All I would think about was my father's approval. I remember riding motocross, and I would just think, if I jump higher, maybe my dad will see me. If I skateboard and I try to, like, jump a bigger gap, or if I just go push myself more, I'm just wanting attention, right? I'm just like, Dad, like, say that I'm okay and spend time with me. So I went to my dad one day, and at this point I'm like, the straw, like I'm ready to give up on life, 13 years old, 12 years old. And my dad looks at me and I go, dad, I want to be the best motocross racer in the world. Let's get a tutor. I thought this was going to be the thing that was going to bond us, man. Like this was it. This is what my dad's always wanted. And he looked at me and he's like, you'll never be the best. And it crushed me. And I left there and I gave up on high school, right? I went from a 3.4 in the beginning year of high school, freshman year, Dropping down, having to go to summer school, I gained 60 pounds. And I put 365 days played on one video game. Didn't talk to my dad for three years. So this was the starting point of where I was at was I gave up on my one vision in life and watched my world around me crumble, not taking a shower for two weeks at a time. Cheeto stains on the left side of my T-shirt because I was eating Cheetos with the right hand, but I had to put it back on the mouse, right, to play video games. Like this was my reality, depression, giving up on life. I wasn't working on skill sets. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anything going for me. No one thought I was going to do much. I just had one skill in motocross that I had left. Wow. And you're, you know, somebody asked me this weekend, they were like looking at some of my stuff and they're like, what's a dream Mason? And I was like, well, it starts with the fact that everybody is a little kid. Their dreams were like crushed or squashed and not always on purpose, right? Like people say things and then as a little kid, we make up stuff about it. Totally. But it's like so clear, like that's it's a beautiful story, not to experience, but in the in the hindsight of it all, like in how far you've come now to tell about like you had this dream and somebody, uh, your dad, not just somebody, but your dad said one thing, which like who knows what he meant or like whatever. But and you took it and it just spun you off. Totally. It's that perception is reality. That's why you can say like to your family and why I'm not scared to share my message in my book, Modern Day Businessman, or even on podcasts or speaking engagement. People are like, how can you say that stuff about your parents? Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't think my parents did anything wrong. Yeah. I think that that's what I thought that they meant, and that was a reality for me. So is it real? Yes. Is it true? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah, not. Who knows? Yeah. But it's not necessarily bad. And, and really, the, my dad thought, like, if you're basing your life and your happiness on being number one, there's going to be days where you're not number one. What are you going to do then? You can't win every single day. You can't be the best every single day out of tens of thousands of people all trying to be the best. There can only be one at a time. <laughs> and so I think it was more like a reality thing. But for me, it was like, you don't believe in me. Yeah. But guess what? I didn't believe in me. That was the thing that I went through was that 
why would my dad push me so hard if he, he – it's not like he'd want me to get hurt, but in motocross, it's a sport that you can get hurt doing. So why would my dad push me so hard and I was afraid of getting pushed? I always thought, why are you so mean, dad? Why do you always – like he would tell me, Nicholas, until you do all these jumps and hit this lap time, we're not leaving the track. And I'd be like, I'm afraid. You know, I'm like, why is this guy such a jerk? And then I thought he doesn't believe in me. And then I realized like the reason that hit me so hard is because I didn't believe in me. If he w- if he didn't want me to get hurt, that means that he actually believed in me more than I did. And I found out later in life at like 26, I'm now 27 years old, 26 years old, I find out, oh my gosh, he believed in me. Yeah. I didn't believe in me, which is so wild, right? And so going into like how it transformed was that I, this is how crazy things can be. One moment, my whole life shifts for the negative. One moment, my whole life shifts on another track. This is what I love about podcasts like this, so I appreciate you putting this whole thing on, is that life can shift in one moment, and it doesn't have to be crazy. This kid at my school had a backpack on, flips it off, and I remember he opens the front Jan Sport pouch, right? You have that, like, one pocket in the front, (laughs) and he pulls out this little Ziploc bag, and in it, it's all this colorful stuff. And I'm like, what is that? He's like, it's fruit. I was like, oh, like, I've, like, hardly ever seen fruit in my life at this point. I'm, like, 60 pounds overweight. I, I literally, my mom only ordered swan. She didn't know how to cook. We never had fruit, nothing. I go, why, why would you eat that? And realize this is not an easy thing to ask for me. I'm already wearing a sweatshirt every day. I wore the same sweatshirt, 100-degree weather, every single day. I wore that sweatshirt. It had fade marks on it. Why? Because I was covering up all the body fat. I used to tape down my nipples every single day. I had man boobs because I was fat. And so I used to get tape and tape down my nipples every day and wow. to the point where I had blisters. So like to ask this kid this in front of everyone was putting myself out there. It was scary. Yeah. He said, I have a boxing trainer, and he wants me to weigh in at the correct weight. And so he gave me a meal plan. I followed it so I can have the highest performance. How old are you? Luminous? 17. Okay. And it just clicked for me. And I realized there's two types of people. A motivated person like me that doesn't know what to do. Like I didn't know that I could change my situation. I thought the way to change it was to cover myself up, that I couldn't change it. The opposite of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who used to actually show every negative part of his body or like area of improvement, and he used to show only that. He used to cover up all his biceps and only show his calves because he knew that whatever he focused on would actually grow. For me, I tried to hide everything because I thought no matter what, nothing was going to change. So I was motivated, didn't know the plan. There's other people out there that know the plan. These are the people that are like fit. Or, I mean, they, they know everything about nutrition. They know everything about business. Like, I have people that reach out to me that think, like, what we do in business is stupid because they've already heard of that before, but they don't do any of it and get any results with it, right? Like, they know how to eat healthy, but they don't do it. And so there's those two different types of people, and it's knowing the game plan to be able to do it. I left there, and six months later, lost 60 pounds. No gym, didn't know how to work out. Too scared to go to the gym. Yeah. Legitimately, I was too scared. I thought you had to be fit to go to the gym. I'm like, I'm not fit. And then I'm like, what, how do I get fit before I go to the gym? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how to do the movements. Yeah, I'm too yeah. scared to go and get judged. I'm like, well, how do I learn the movements if I don't do them? Yeah. So, dude, I was the mo- one of the most insecure people I've ever worked with in my life. And, and actually, it led to one of my friends committing suicide that I believe would have been avoided if I wasn't so self-conscious, meaning conscious of myself only. Yeah. And that was a huge thing for me. I want people to be, to be fit, to be powerful, so that they can think less about themselves and more about others. right? Because when we're thinking like, well, how do I look with this T-shirt on? And like, you know, is this jacket fit me okay? Like, are, is my body fat hanging off the side of my pants? Like, that's all like about us. Mm-hmm. And it keeps us from serving other people. Wow. I really, you know, I really appreciate the the story, especially as a man um, talking about like the body insecurities. 
because this is so I I've talked about this on other people's podcasts. I haven't talked about it on on mine a lot, um, but that was like a big thing for me. And like I've probably been the same my whole life. I was never like sixty pounds overweight, but I remember seeing like Hulk Hogan, yeah, as like a little boy and going. Oh, that's what a that's what a man looks like. Like a man has muscles, and seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, and and being really clear in my head, that's what a man looks like. Well, no little kid is jacked like that, right? Yeah. Like most grownups aren't jacked like that. And because I wasn't, then it was like, well, there's something wrong with my body. So I didn't, I don't have like the the stories, but the conversation in my head totally was just as bad. Like I didn't want to do things where I would be like exposed or whatnot or be seen because then it. Ref- was like, well, there's something wrong with me. But I really appreciate it because as men, we just like don't talk about that. It's ignored. It's like that's a women's issue. Um, and I, I really believe that there's probably just as many men dealing with stuff like that. And we just, because we're taught it's not okay, we just kind of like cover it up with video games or b- buy bigger T-shirts or like whatever it is. So that I really appreciate you sharing like that part of the story. What you, you touched on suicide twice and i'm curious because your friend who committed suicide and then when you were seven you wrote your first suicide note which made me think like were there more suicide notes was no so this was like a thing for me that i i think it was almost an attention grab like i was kind of like writing this i didn't i didn't show it to my family i wasn't like putting it out there for people to be able to see yet they did find it they didn't even know how to talk to me about it which was super interesting i just remember them saying hey we found this note which my memory is really bad i'm like seven at the time and not seven now if you're wondering like i'm seven at the time is the most successful seven-year-old of all time there's there's probably more (laughs) successful seven-year-olds even really and so this and that's what i love about business is you don't have to be number one you could be number 10 million and still make a living and be great you know so so i I, at the time that's what it was like and and i think that they didn't even know how to talk to me which is interesting right there's kids like suicides higher than ever before in men especially right now suicides higher than ever 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 before 25% of uh, homes in the U.S. are fatherless, up to 80% in some cities, no father in the home. Kids growing up not knowing ever how to be a man. Even the ones that do grow up with a father in the home, how many of them are checked out? How many of them go to work every day and the son never gets to actually learn how to be a man working alongside the dad until they get pushed out the door at 18 years old after they had eight out of nine teachers that are women? So like they learn how to be a man based on what a woman what a woman would want a man to be like, but would actually never be with. Well, or the like the way I thought I learned was like through media, right? Like yeah. it was I grew up in that time. Like I just said, all those people were American Dream. Well, I, mine was like Saved by the Bell. Like yeah, yeah. Zach Morris on Saved by the <laughs> Bell was like the best. Like I want that's who I wanted to be, right? And then I was like, oh, I and then I combined it with like you know, these other figures in like mafia movies that I thought were cool. Like it was, but I created an archetype that wasn't real. And my dad was actually, my dad's awesome. And my dad was there and my dad was involved. But if we look at like, even as men who are there, my dad wasn't, is, is amazing and generous and loving, but not like sitting down and having a a conversation with me about like, like anything deep. Yeah. That was just my mom. And so there wasn't, it was like, when I look at my dad, I'm like, well, from that lens being, a man was like work really hard because that's what my dad was like the hardest worker ever. But he was also working all the time and, and he did well, but he wasn't like rich. Right. So I was like, man, hard work is that's not a good way because he's killing himself and 
He doesn't have the results that he wants. Totally. And you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had media, movies, things like that. That kind of shaped his life. One of my mentors, Navy SEAL, has been my mentor since I was 18. So now nine years later, he's been in 13 hours, Transformers, Iron Man. He's on set. He trained like a, a bunch of crazy people, how to shoot guns and all this stuff. And this guy, li- who is this? His name's Yost Jansen. He's a, okay. a phenomenal. He lives here. He was a Navy SEAL instructor. Has done some amazing things. He's John Krasinski's stunt double on, you know, okay. the guy from The Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, and, and Jack Ryan. Yeah, and Jack. Yep, and he helped consult on nice. that as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so this guy, his whole life has been shaped by like a handful of movies. It's hilarious. Like it's similar to Arnold Schwarzenegger and can be used for really good. So, I think. But again, culture shows us these things, and and we learn. From, check this out. This is Jack. And I'm not, I don't condone this at all, but back in the day when we were colonizing America, there was American Indians here. And so what they did is they were like, we need to, they're not fitting into our like square peg of culture. So they went and they took all the kids, all the Indian kids, they took them from their parents and put them in the first ever boarding school. The boarding schools were meant to like shape them in the Mm -hmm. way that America would be done. So what they did is they didn't let them go back to family. They weren't allowed to practice any of the things that they ever had in their past. And in one generation, they can fully wipe out a belief system and a whole history, a whole culture so that they fit in this one thing. And I started asking myself, like, wait a second. What are the things that I believe that aren't like the best thing for a human being or a son or or now now for me going to be a father and then being married? I'm like, what are the things that I'm actually supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to get up on Monday and go to work and then like come home? And do other things and then on Friday get the days off. And I like I didn't know how I was supposed to actually live this life. And I went on this journey of that. So like wake yourself up to getting around people and asking like what how should I actually live life? Who has the fruit that I want? But going back to suicide real quick. Yeah. This was this is probably the biggest thing that people leave with just this one learning that I got when I was 18 years old. So I went in high school, I played guitar, picked up guitar. It was my little outlet that I had. And I had two girls that were in my like guitar group every single day. So every day we're like writing music together, we're playing music, and we're playing in front of the school and all this stuff. So these two girls that were hanging out were like really good friends for three years. Now all of a sudden it's my senior year of high school, and I'm not in guitar class anymore. I'm still a failure. I'm still like overweight and all these things. Every single day, one of those girls, we walk past each other in the passing periods. And every single day, being self-conscious, I'm like, is she looking at me? Like, should I say hi? What do I say to her? And I'm always thinking about myself. She seems normal every day, seems happy every single day. And then one time, for the first time, really, I'd ever been to a church before. I never grew up going to church or anything. I'm at this church, and I get a phone call on my cell phone. I grab it real quick. I answer it, and they're, like, crying and doing all this stuff. And they tell me that my friend Jamie had committed suicide by hanging. And I'm sitting there thinking now, especially where I'm at, have you ever jumped off like a cliff into water or anything like that? Like I have, yeah, last, last year in Croatia. Cool. And it was probably, how high up was it? I you mean, can exaggerate, don't worry. No, no, it seemed like way higher than it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, I'm measuring in my head. I measure like by basketball hoops, right? Yeah, I'm guessing about thirty feet. Cool. That's and good. I was Solid. and I was ter- like I was terrified. Hurts your feet, like it's you, when you land on and all that stuff. So thirty feet up, just imagine he's thirty feet up, and I'm sure when you looked over, your body had some type of hesitation not to jump off. Like you're like, oh, I don't want to do this, but you're like. And you have to fight that and just be like, it's okay, and then just kind of make that just leap, got, right? Yeah, you guys got to go. So think for a second for her. Like, this is life ending. Yeah. She's sitting there with a, a, a rope around her neck, and, like, there's a point to this. And I'm assuming she's sitting there wondering, is there a reason to live? 
and she can't think of anything. And I saw her every day, worked with her for three years, and passed her every day in school and never once said, how are you doing? Because I'm thinking about myself the whole time. And she couldn't think of one impressing moment. And what happened is afterwards, after she had, after like she had died, we held this little thing like four days later. It spread word of mouth, and it was at this church. They opened up this place, and we were all going to come together and celebrate like what we had learned from her, who had been impacted by her life. Four hundred people showed up. I don't even like. I don't even know if I died right now. If like four hundred people would show up for me, like this girl. I'm seventeen years old. She's seventeen years old. She shows up and four or she's dead and 400 people show up saying she made an impact in life. And I said, I got up there and I'm like, isn't this interesting that we didn't make an impact in hers? Yeah. And so uh, six wow. months later, I'm driving down the road in a beat up Nissan truck and it's 12 a.m. on a Sunday night. And I was at this point, I was livid. I was so frustrated. I was crying in my truck and I was like, what's the problem? Why couldn't I have made an impact in her life? Right? Like I'm pissed off and I'm like, I want to be used for something. I want to be led. If there's someone out there, if there's something like that could lead me to actually help people, I want to be led. And, and I started thinking like process of elimination. I'm like, how many people are awake right now on a Sunday night at one in the morning? Not many people asking to be used to help other people. I'm like, use me. Hello. And then all of a sudden I started like having this thought, get off on this exit up here. So I'm like, Okay, I probably shouldn't like deny that thought even though it's one in the morning. I probably shouldn't deny it. I should probably get off on the exit because like why would I just deny after I just asked for help? So I get off in the middle of nowhere, industrial part of town. I get off the road. I turn left, and I'm like, okay, I did it. Now what? And I'm like driving. I'm like, well, I'll just go back on the freeway then. And then all of a sudden I was like, there was a guy walking on the street, no shoes, tatted from his feet all the way up to his head. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's, this guy's tatted up. Like what the heck? Like he would look pretty gnarly, one in the morning, in the middle of nowhere. And I felt stopped for the guy. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I go into this parking lot, turn around, and I wait for the dude. All of a sudden, the dude comes around, and I see him, and I'm waiting, and I'm like 125 pounds at this point. Like, I lost the weight finally. And all of a sudden, he bum rushes my truck. Like, sprints all out. And all of a sudden, I said one word to him right before he got to my truck, and he stopped. And he was like, what are you doing here? Like, why, why, would, you, why would you say that? What are you doing? And I was like, what are you, where are you going? What like, did you say to him? If people want to know the answer, like this is, it's like a secret. If people want to know the answer, email me, nicholas at the billion dollar body.com, and I'll share with you the whole story. Not even an opt in, just email me. And so I know it's like crazy hook, right? Um, but basically, I stop him dead in the tracks, and I'm like, I don't know what to do at this point. I'm just kind of like going with the punches, whatever. You want to jump in my truck, I'll give you a ride home. He's like, my car broke down, whatever. So we're in the car, and he starts bawling, crying, and freaking out. So I'm thinking maybe he's on drugs. I don't know what's going on. And he starts telling me about how he's on his way home. All these bad things were happening to him, and his car broke down. He sat up on the mountain, and he was contemplating life, and he said, I, this is it. I don't have anything with me, but I'm going to go home, and I'm going to go kill myself. So he starts walking his way home, and then all of a sudden, some kid in a red Nissan truck in the middle of the night on a Sunday night in the middle of nowhere goes past him. And the first thought that goes through his head is, if this kid stops for me, I'm going to beat the living shit out of him. And then all of a sudden, that kid goes in the parking lot, comes around, and he sees me stop there. So he runs after my truck to beat the shit out of me. I say that one thing. It stops him right there. We got to his house. We started praying together. I'm still friends with this guy on Facebook to this day. He now has kids. But I was used. After that one moment, I was able to take that. And that, that's what I do. Like BDB was inspired by this, was that I was able to use that intuition of what should I do to stop for one person at a time in front of me rather than looking at the logical thing of what's the shows I could get on? What's the biggest shows? What's the biggest reach? No. In the middle of the night, I felt led to get off on an exit and help this one dude. And that's been the basis of everything that we've done has been 
there's times where you just got to follow that voice. People keep asking, what should I do with my life? I'm like, I don't know. What have you been told to do that you haven't done yet and you're waiting for a new instruction, though you've never taken action on the one you've been given? Take action on that, that and stop worrying how it's going to unfold. I didn't say who's on the other side of this exit, and if you tell me if it's worth it, then I'm going to go. I got off on the exit. I turned left. I saw a guy. I thought I should stop. The, the word came to me in a second. I said it to him. He stopped, got in my truck. Can I guess? <laughs> yeah, you'll never get it right. <laughs> Can we do – all right, how about this? Can we, you give me like, a, like what, two lies and a truth? Two fake words and one real word? You don't have to tell me the answer, but let me guess of the three. Cool. Uh, I said his name. Okay. I knew why he stopped. Or I told him, does your knee hurt? Mm. Ooh, that's good. Those are good. Maybe send me an email, yeah. too. When you guys email, <laughs> send me what you think it was. That's good. I don't think it was the knee one, but the other two. I mean, I feel like it could be his name. That'd be pretty. That'd be pretty good. Um, all right, we'll say it off the air afterwards. I'll tell you. All right, um, that's awesome. That's a really great story, and I think I, I love what you're saying. I do. I'm a big believer, whether it be in my own life or in the the people that I work with. Like you gotta, it's you have to have trust and faith. Totally. So there's faith in something bigger, whatever you know. If you wanna believe that there's a marshmallow man in the sky and like whatever i don't care right yeah. but like something that's like bigger than just your physical body totally and and then and i think that the trust is like in you in that thing in other people but it's you just can't exist in this life successfully on your own without trust and faith you can but it's not going to be like a happy life it's like you playing the video games doing all that stuff you were alone you were alone isolated there was no trust there was no faith I want to talk about um, this is going to be a big shift because you've just been giving us like so much like really personal emotional stuff. But one of the things that you do that is, I think, really impressive because it's I think people don't realize like how much goes into it are events. It's like a really big thing that you create, you produce. um, And it's not easy to do events. I've done small events. And I think I don't know how like the, the to the extent of how big your events are. And I'd love you to tell me love for you to tell me, but like, how did you get into events and how have you made them successful? Yeah, it's a really good question. And events aren't easy. And for us, we've ran dozens of events from high ticket events where guys are investing $20,000 to come to events all the way down to our lowest ticket events being 47 or 97 bucks. I just did one at my office, actually goal setting workshop for this new year. Phenomenal. And I actually have a goal setting guide. Am I allowed to give something yeah. away for yeah, free? Yeah, totally. It's at nicholasbarely.com slash new year. I went to a goal setting workshop and it was like a million things. I thought it was amazing and I never used it. So I created this three page sheet that helps you reflect on last year, figure out where you're at and where you're going. And it's simple. You can download it, print it out and like just use it. It's awesome. We use, so it's at nicholasbarely.newyear.com slash new year. Dot com slash new year. Yep. Nicholasbarely.com slash new year. And they can grab wanna, it for free. I want to spell your last name for people so people can. Um, yep. Bayer Aspirin with an L E at the end. <laughs> B A Y E R L E. Nice. Awesome. And Nicholas is N I C H O L A S. Yes. Absolutely. Awesome. And so, yeah. So with the events, this is how it worked. I lost 60 pounds, right? So when I went into business, I got married. So I lost the weight, attracted my ideal wife. I got married and I was prospering in these two areas of life health and relationships. And at the time, like, I didn't know that wealth was a big deal. Like, I had no job. I get married and I feel this responsibility all of a sudden to be like, I need to provide for a place for us to live. So we started figuring out like, what should we do? So we're like, we should do a business because then we could do that together. So we got into business and failed for a really long time. 
What three what, years? What business were you in? We first got into network marketing. Okay. And provided for our whole first year of marriage. Vaisalus. 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 Then tanked. I don't. I don't know what that is. What's vi- it's, it's just an a... awesome weight loss shake okay. at the time. Okay. Like okay. everyone was like, dude, we drank the Kool Aid. We were like all in. Yeah. Straight up. So I learned tons from it. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden, I got into my own business. I was like, I don't want anything to be able to flop on me again. I'm gonna go create my own business. So I was like, well, we've I've lost the weight. This is what I'm good at. I thought that you could only teach what you had done. This is what I thought. I thought you could only be the guru. So I was like, okay, I can. I, I want to talk about business. I want to start all these other things, but I haven't made the money. I haven't been married that long. Yeah. And I had this vision of doing this three-dimensional businessman. Now, I don't, I'm not even the guru. I'm just a reporter. I just interview people like you do. I bring in the best people in relationships, mm-hmm. best people in health, best people in business, and I bring them in. So I helped all these guys, over 600 guys, lose over 10,000 pounds working wow. with them over the last few years. With your own, like, you created the program or was it like yeah. a mindset thing? No, yeah. I created all the programs, everything. Like, so, so what it was they only ate, weight they... loss for men. Dude, we yeah. used to fly people out to San Diego. We'd get all their blood work done. We'd customize a plan based on their micronutrients and macro, like what macronutrients they should have. We'd cure their deficiencies, yeah. and then we'd create a holistic pan- plan that they could follow. We had guys in China that we had a service where any meal that they needed or wherever they're going, we translate menus. We translate Chinese menus, and they know everything they could eat within a one-mile radius of them everywhere they went. What I love is you didn't stop at the, like, I don't know how to do this, which is the thing. I think it's the thing that stops almost everyone every time is, oh, my God, I have this idea. I don't know how. Well, great. Nobody knew how to do anything. Nobody knew how to make an iPhone until they made an iPhone, right? Yep. And you had lost weight, but, and maybe you knew some things, but you didn't know how, excuse me, you didn't know how to have all these people lose weight. Totally. But I love that you like stepped in anyway. I was willing to take, I was willing to figure it out for sure. And I knew that I could work hard to figure it out. And as you said, with the iPhone, it took a long time for someone to create an iPhone, but now there's a blueprint of how to create an iPhone. If you just follow the blueprint, you're going to create it. Like every single time that a kid's born, they don't have to reinvent electricity before they can go make an iPhone. Now they have this – the ceiling of the past generation becomes the floor of the new generation. Yeah. And so I, after I helped them lose the weight, I'm like, I'm not the weight loss guy. Like how can I help these guys get better results? This is why I created events strictly for this. I'm like they're all working with me, but they're not getting – they're not keeping the results afterwards to the extent that I would like to. They still stayed like skinny, but then they get kind of average because they were hanging out with average people. They weren't healthy, weren't business owners. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna create this three-dimensional businessman, health, wealth, and relationships. We're gonna throw a live event. I thought 20 people. My wife says, Why are you playing so small? We gotta do hundred for our first event. And your wife is sitting here outside the studio, very pregnant. <laughs> oh yeah. And that's still I mean, we just held an event that we just planned like last minute as well. My wife's like freaking fantastic. She's my biggest mentor. And so I just remember her pushing me, and I was like, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to launch this brotherhood. This brotherhood's going to actually transform the way that guys do business, relationships, life because of the environment they're in because you'll always adapt to the environment that you're in. And from that, we're going to go out there, and we're going we're gonna to throw this event. So the very first event, I created the brotherhood, and I thought it was a $10,000 offer. And I thought if it one sells, I'm going to just crush it with that one guy. I'm going to make all of them feel bad for not buying it. So I really want to – like. That you were you were set to have if one person if you sold one you were like that'll be awesome and I'll kill it with this one guy. I have a lot of people and I hear this often where people want to do a thing but they're like what if only one person or two people it's going to be embarrassing and they come up with all the reasons right it just stops them then they don't do anything. If one person had, would it have been an event with one guy sitting in one chair and like what would what would you have done? 
Yeah, so what people don't know is that 20 years old when I was in network marketing, I threw two events every single week for a year. Okay. That 50% of people, 50% of the time, nobody showed up. Okay. None of my friends showed up. Yeah. No, everyone thought I had lost my calling in life, that I'd gone into business, and that it was a stupid decision, and it was proven by my results. So three years in, and at this point when I'm throwing this first event, we're doing about $30,000 a month in, in coaching sales. So at this point, I'm already like, dude, everyone's already doubted me before, but there was a sense of focus. And this is the thing. Yeah, what I've done it, of course, because what I believe is you set the goal, you take action on the goal, the, the actions that you take produce the results. And if you don't like the results, then you go back and fix the actions. Okay. And it's called lessons learned. So this is what I learned from my Navy SEAL mentors that every time they go do a mission, they go do it. And afterwards, they do their lessons learned. They write down what worked, what didn't, so that they can file it away and not do the bad things again and do the good things repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So it had just been a process. Now, would I have been okay with that? Absolutely not. I'm not okay with like an eighth place trophy or I tried, I threw the event and there was one person that showed up, but at least I did it. I hear this thing all the time. Well, at least I did it. I did the podcast. I put it out there. There was only one person that listened. I'm like, no, you just didn't try. Like one person listening to a podcast means you just didn't talk to anyone. And so making sure that you do the work. The whole thing I love about the event is I had the speakers. I had 10 attendees coming so far. I wanted 100. For this first one. For the first one. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. If the speakers show up and, and they show up and see 10 people, they're going to be like, Nicholas isn't the real deal. If 10 people show up and they thought they were going to have 100, they're going to be like, why did I buy this event and show up to this thing? And it gave me this sense of like, oh, my gosh, I need to make this thing happen. And I went into extreme focus mode. I sold 81 tickets. The rest were the uh, – the sponsors, and this was an average ticket price of four hundred and like seventy five dollars mm -hmm. per ticket. So, and I sold all eighty one, almost every single one of them on the phone, like myself. That's awesome. You just like call. You just like went through numbers you had. You everyone I'd given value yeah, to, yeah. and even people I hadn't, I would just literally get on the phone and I'd be like, "Hey, like, what's your biggest focus and passion right now?" And I would sit there and try to solve their problems till the point where they're like, "Well, what are you up to?" And they felt bad because I'd given them so much. I'm like, oh, actually, now that you say it, like I actually have a live event in San Diego. Have you heard of this person? Have you heard of this person? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Do you go to live events? Oh, awesome. When you go to – you know, if you came to my live event, what would you want to get out of it? And they'd be like, oh, like I'd want to meet people. So you're saying if, if you can meet people and, and get the education, like you would come out. And they're like, well, I mean, yeah, technically. Like when's the dates? I'm like, well, dates aside, like would you come out if the – you know, I went into the mode, but it came from serving first. Yeah. And that's where I went. I believe that everyone can do this. And, and I like that we shot higher. If I would have went for 20, I would have hit 20. And if I shot for 100, like I hit 81. And it was really awesome. And I got to see where my watermark was at the next time. And I wanted to grow from there. But at that event, I created an offer for the Brotherhood, the guys that I had served to lose weight. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give them access to my network. We're going to work together as a three-dimensional businessman. $10,000 offer. I pitched it the very first talk. Could you imagine an event that someone goes up on the very first talk and offers a $10,000 program and says, there's no more sales for the rest of the event. This is the only thing so you can enjoy. And all 25 spots sold. 11 spots during the talk, 16 by the end of the day, 25 by the end of the weekend. And I had never, I had never done more than a $30,000 collected month. All of a sudden, this was like over 200 grand. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is what happens when you flip the script for everyone out there that thinks that they have to do like <laughs> they have to go create the results so that people will listen to them and follow them and then you can create an impact in this world. What have you started with the impact that you want to create? You started talking about it to create an audience around that subject and then you serve that audience and solve their needs and the problem and then all of a sudden now you're giving them a product that they all desire and already want to buy. That's beautiful, man. And then they were able to go home 
and be a part of this new movement. I wanted to yeah. get it out there. I wanted them talking. I wanted them wearing the shirts. I wanted them to be a part of the brotherhood, not just body, because mm-hmm. body wasn't making the impact that I wanted. It was clogging one hole in their life and making the other ones blow up. It would just transfer over to their relationship now, and then their business would be chaotic. And it was a chaotic lifestyle. So what do people get when they're in, like if you're in this like community, yep. what are you getting? Yeah, adaptation. I know it sounds so ridiculous, but there's a lions in the Congo. This is the best way I could describe it. The, the <laughs> average the average lion in Africa is 400 pounds. Okay. There's a pride of lions that lives in the Congo. They're 550 pounds. Why? Because of the pride that keeps them alive and the environment that they're in has made them adapt to the environment. Now they're 550 pounds. What can they do that other lions can't do? They climb trees to run away from prey, but also to hunt. Imagine lions up in the trees looking over for prey. Two, they've learned how to swim. Cats hate swimming. Third, the, the most dangerous thing in all the rainforest in, in the Congo is a hippo. Like, they can go underwater like 30 miles an hour. It's insane. Okay. Nothing hunts a hippo. They're not like the cuddly thing that you see on TV. These things are intense. Nobody hunts the hippo in the Congo. Insane. But these lions are the only pride of lions in the world that can hunt hippos. And what I've found is that the guys that I work with, they're all businessmen that have dreams and visions that are like that hippo. If they're a 700-pound lion and maybe they're really, like, awesome, they still can't defeat a hippo. And if you're hanging out with the pride of 400-pound lions in an easy environment that's not pushing you, well, then you're not going to get and adapt to 550 pounds and learn these new traits. And so when they're in the right environment, and we like climate times capacity equals your current results. So they, they have the capacity to become great at something, and we find what that is and give them the skill sets. Now all of a sudden they can build an iPhone rather than figuring out the iPhone exists. If we put them in an environment that can have them adapt to a 550-pound lion mm-hmm. – and gain the skill sets to go out there, they can actually hunt a hippo. And the brotherhood, having the community around you is kind of like a bar fight. Like, I believe life's like a bar fight. If I was, I'm, I'm not that heavy, I'm like 152 pounds. If I were to go into a bar fight right now and the guy was a 250 pounds MMA fighter, I'm gonna get my ass kicked. Yeah. But if I had 40 guys all behind me that stood up and said, hey, dog, what's the problem? Like, is there an issue here? No matter how strong that guy is, he's not gonna defeat 40 guys. And that's how we go into each problem. Each Brotherhood member every single day is describing what they're working on, what their wins are, what they need help with. And guys are coming around them using their skills, talents, and resources and giving with expecting nothing in return. And we're seeing guys win astronomically in a world where everyone's trying to do everything on their own. So how does it play out when – you know it's like a virtual ma- – it's like a virtual mastermind. Is it – is there – like how are, how are these – connect outside of the live events, how are people actually connecting? Is there like an online – you know, place where people are sending messages to each other or they're like calls. What, what are people? Yeah, totally. We use zoom all the time. It's okay. been a phenomenal resource for us. We also have a private Facebook group with, okay. uh, the, I think right now are like 3,100 guys wow. in all that own businesses in yeah, our private yeah. Facebook group called the billion dollar brotherhood. And it's so interesting dude. the, the quality of men in this group. So we use the Facebook group, we use zoom calls and we use boxer chat boxers, like a back and forth walkie talkie where we could speed up the chat we could talk back and forth, and we have all these small like colonies of groups. We call them elite teams, mm-hmm. designed by SEAL teams. So the SEAL teams, they designed our elite teams, putting guys that are similar size revenue, similar size like industries together so that they can work together in these small like elite teams. I'm like, would Navy SEALs ever go out there alone and like try to go do something? No, like they travel as like a yeah. team. So I'm like, oh, maybe we should probably do the same thing. Yeah, So the, and then the Facebook group so interesting. I'm in lots of men's Facebook groups. Well, and and dude, if you ask a question like, what type of like, what's relationship advice that you have? What's business advice that you have? What should I do with my life? The relationship advice is pull out. 
Like that's the relation in other people's group. Like, oh, I'm different. like that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, that's other people. Yeah, yeah like yeah. and and then also you come in my group and there's these guys that are high level. Yeah, I mean we have guys that have done over a billion dollars in sales. We have guys that are like zealous twenty year olds that are just like all in, like I was, and they're all together using their skills, talents, and abilities to benefit each other. What do you find is is the group only men? Only men. Okay. There's not one women buyer at all. Can uh, can there be? No. Okay. What do you find the like top three biggest issues that men are facing? Like, what do you just from your perspective, your experience in these group in your groups, not outside? Totally. What are the what are the top three you think? Yeah. So the number one cause of of shame in men in America in general is actually the lack of ability to provide for their family. That's their biggest cause of shame. So we're always making sure that we're like hitting on that, and that's why we have the wealth side of helping them gain the skill sets to be able to not only produce money, but keep money and grow money as well so that they have ultimate power. But I would say the biggest thing right now is like the guys going into seclusion and there's two different types of seclusion. This is where they remove themselves from the environment because the environment of BDB is great if you're winning because you feel like you want to show up and you want to be like, look at what I accomplished. But really at the end of the day, like you don't need the environment when you're doing great. Mm -hmm. It's when you're not doing great. It's like commitment. Like, oh, I com I'm committed to working out. Well, if you feel like working out, the commitment doesn't matter. Yeah. It's when you don't feel like working out that the commitment matters. Two different types of seclusion. One is men that only feel like they can be in a, in a community when they're doing well. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, they use all their willpower to try to get to a place where they feel like they're worthy enough to be around people. And then by that time, they're already burnt out. They get into community. They end up resting. And then they end up – their revenue goes down. Their life goes down just a tiny bit. And they go, oh, it's because I'm around all these people. I need to go back and get to this point again until I get around community. And so they end up leaving. This is like, uh, it's so crazy to me. It's it's that it's the, one of the most ridiculous things when I say it out loud. But it's, I can only be in community when I'm successful. The second one is what would be common as the opposite, which is I can only be in community when things are really bad. And so this is the person that only reaches out to you. And maybe you've had this happen to you when they're in like the worst moment. And they reach out and they're like, I need help, I need help, yeah, I need help. But as soon as they get back to stability, yeah. they'll never invest and they'll always go back to doing it on their own. So for them, they only get in community when they need something and they leave when they don't. Mm -hmm. And the other person, they only get in community when they feel like they're good enough. And as soon as they drop below, they don't. And both of them put them in a perpetual cycle, which is this. They're going around life. They have this really traumatic moment that puts them into this like weird state of like free fall. And they could choose at that point to commit to the community get involved, get the help they need to ascend to this next level, or they can go down to the very bottom where they start wishing they could go back to the life that they once hated. This is when entrepreneurs, they, they leave a job, they become an entrepreneur, they freak out, it's so scary, they can get the help they want, get the coach that they want, but instead they get down to rock bottom and they're like, man, if I could just go back and get a job, life was so much simpler. And they don't remember the fact that they left that because life sucked and they start desiring the life that they used to hate. And it becomes this per perpetual system. Number one thing is men getting in their own way, not allowing themselves to actually have get the help that they need yeah. to be able to produce the success that they want. What do you find with the really successful men? So the, the, the top of the pyramid, kind of like the dudes who are literally killing it. What's the biggest problem that, they, that, you, that you hear that they have? Yeah, so it's definitely not in business at all. Yeah. This is typically they. It's so interesting. They're not as successful, I would say, like not as you know, don't have as big of a business. They don't have a bunch of extra money. Typically, guys, sixty-six percent of them join the brotherhood just because they want to make more money. Mm -hmm. 
I found for like, let's say Russell Brunson, great consumer of the podcast, phenomenal guy. He's always looking at, man, like how do you work together as a couple? And it all goes to this like higher level stuff of like bigger impact purpose. How can I actually do something that's impactful with my time? And how do I do better in my home? And that's always, like, there's no such thing as success with, with sacrifice in the home. And I would yeah. say that those, for those guys, it's more around family, children, because they figured out like a wise man learns from his mistakes, but an even wiser man learns from someone else's mistakes. Mm-hmm. They found out that money won't increase happiness. I remember Russell Brunson, great, great friend of mine. He could exit his company for a billion dollars, or he could continue to do his company and what he loves, just not be a CEO. And he asked Tony Robbins this question, what should I do? And Tony's like, hey, the billion dollars, knowing you and knowing what I've been through, and I'm listening to someone else who's been through it, it, it won't change your life. It might change your life for a day because you're like, oh, I'm rich, and it might give you a feeling of security. But all of a sudden, that's going to be gone, and then all of a sudden, you, you've lost your love as well. And so generally for me, like these guys, they're going through, they've seen that the amount of money, the amount of things that they've gotten hasn't increased happiness, right? It hasn't done what they thought it would do. And now they're going back to, okay, how can I do the things that do create happiness, which is progress, progress towards a goal equals happiness, and giving. The secret of living is giving, right? So like now they're going back to those things and focusing on that. Yeah, I find the, it's, I love that, you say it different, but I love that you, when people ask me, like, what do you mean your clients are successful? I'm like, my clients are very successful. And, and they're all different, different ages, ranges, like they all want different things. But often the ones that are the most successful are there's that thing missing and they don't know what it is because they're such high achievers. They've accomplished so much. But the thing that's missing is maybe like the connection or the relationship or the next challenge. They, ha- they don't know how to challenge themselves anymore because they kill it at everything. Yeah, hit, hitting a goal is not a good thing, right? Like having yeah. <laughs> progression towards the goal is great. So the way that we set it up is like this. You want a huge vision so that you can create goals so that you can create a plan. But I don't sit there and like just try to hit that one goal. I sit there and focus on the process. This is something I learned from my Navy SEAL mentor along with like professional coaches. Yeah. Uh, I went back into motocross and became like a like a small pro athlete as well. And so inside of that, I'm like, okay, you have a, a big vision. Your little thing just went sideways yeah. again. It's all right. Let's just keep going. We're- you have this big vision, like where you want to be in life. For me, I, I, I'm redefining what it means to be a businessman, changing the dictionary definition where in that definition you will see that you cannot be called a businessman unless you prosper in health, wealth, and relationships. I'm taking that model inside the men that we have in our community, and I'm going to consult every major world leader on how they can run their country. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my main vision. If I started focusing on that today, dude, like I, I wouldn't know where to start, right? Like if I'm like, Console every major world leader. Console every major world leader. That's like walking into a gym and being like, Mr. Olympia, Mr. Olympia. Like that's not going to do anything. So then you set a goal. Like (laughs) what's your goal for the year that's going to get you there? Mm -hmm. And then most people go, I want to be fit. I want to lose weight, right? Like that's that would be like an example compared to making money, right? I'm using this example. And then they don't have a plan. And that's like going in the gym and being like, I want to be fit so bad. And then you like jump on a machine and do it real fast. And you're like, ah, fit, be fit. No, like. Then you create a plan, and in the plan, you take action every day, and you reevaluate your progress and figure out what should I do differently. And like so many people, they focus on like I want to make a million dollars. So every day they wake up and they're like I want to make a million dollars. I want to make a million dollars. Well, what happens? You make thirty grand the first month. Now you got to roll over the fifty-six grand that you didn't make into the next month, and now you have all this pressure that you have to make one hundred thirty grand next month to be on track. Rather than being like I want to make a million, this is what I have to do every single day. This is what I have to do every single week. Yeah. And then you focus only on the actions. 
right? You focus on following the plan. And in that, you get like a sense of satisfaction, a sense of security. And that's where I love my mentors, like Russell Brunson, is that he can share it with me and tell me like, this is what's required. And I can bounce it off him. So I go, hey, I'm doing these things every day. Am I doing the right things? Can I keep just focusing on the process and not focus only on the outcome? And I see that's where people get discouraged. You talk about one person coming to an event. They're getting discouraged because they're focusing on the outcome yeah. and not the process. That's been one of the biggest contributors to my lack of financial success in the beginning was I'd hold a webinar. I'd only compare my numbers to everyone else. I'd be like, I only had 10 people on. Two people bought for 400 bucks. I made 800 bucks. I tried so hard all week. I can't live off 800 times four plus business expenses. I can't keep doing this. But a 20% close ratio is pretty good. I needed 100 people there. But I was looking at the results, like the outcome, yeah. and I wasn't yeah. looking at the process that I was taking to get there. Nice. Um, you talk a lot about mentors, and I'm just like, what's the quick? Do you have three or four books that you're like, these are my go-to, I think everybody should read? For like to get mentorship advice from a book? No, like, like books that you feel like you've learned the most from. That like If they're just like books that you know, you, if you had to get rid of all the books, you're like, I'm keeping these three or four. Yeah. It's a really good question. So I, I don't read a ton. I wrote a book, but I don't read a ton, but I, I have, I, I do read more than I ever have before. Um, the Bible has been a huge one for me. Like you look at it, like if you want to be an influencer and you want to live a good life, think of a guy who had no Instagram, Facebook, and he didn't have a car and he went out there and spoke a message for three and a half years and then died at 33 years old. And he has like 2.5 billion followers still to this day. <laughs> Right, yeah. like it's insane that that messages continue sure. to click carry. So I look at, well, he had a message, he had like a process, and he spoke that message with confidence, and people connected with it. Sure. So that was a huge one for me. Thinking Grow Rich was a huge one as well. Like it's so, I feel like it's cliche. Yet if you go into it with a childlikeness of expecting that if I if I do what it says, it's gonna work for me. Yeah. I went from cleaning carpets making nineteen k a year. To the first year I read Thinking Grow Rich, I read it three times in one year, and we did 100K that year. And it was th that was the only difference. I didn't even have a skill set yet. I just started looking for opportunities. Read Thinking Grow Rich. Read Three times, Rich. or five times if you want to. <laughs> I, I even plan yeah, on reading dumb. it again from a I, new perspective. I have, I have a few books that I read like every year, and they're, and they're different areas of life, but they they just like ground me in different in different yeah, things. I learned from doing. So I say don't just go do things, don't just go hit play on a video. People say just hit play, just hit record. I'm like that's awesome. Yet what happens in any sport if you go out there and just practice without knowing what to do, you get bad habits. So get a mentor, get around successful people. This is what I did. 18 years old, I wanted to get around my first mentor. Just a quick tip. So what did I do? I had one friend that knew the guy. So I told my friend, hey, if you get around this guy, I want to come with you. So finally, a few months later, he goes, I'm having lunch with this guy. Come meet us in Orange County. So I had to decide to go meet them, even though it was social, like I had a little bit of social anxiety. I was broke. I didn't know I was going to pay for lunch. I go there. I meet the guy, make a little bit of an impression, and he gives me his phone number. I was too scared. I just say, hey, this is Nicholas. Great to connect. Mm -hmm. a, few, a few weeks later, he gives me a text message that he's going to surf at Trestles, which is like an hour and a half away, in the middle of the night. And my friend next to me goes, Nicholas, like, I'm not going to go. What if there's tons of people there? What if you surf at night? If you get caught, you go to jail. And I don't have any food. Like, all these excuses. Like, I don't want to make it seem like it was easy. I had the excuses, too. So I dropped him off. I grabbed the protein bar, banana, my surfboard. I went to a surf spot I'd never been to before. And guess who showed up? Nobody. I was the only one. I drove him down to the surf spot. I ran down by myself afterwards. I paddled out in the middle of the ocean, surfed waves in the middle of the night. It was overcast. Couldn't see anything. I got stuck in the ocean for five hours. 
in the middle of the night, I got stuck in the ocean for five hours. Yet I made a connection with this mentor. (laughs) And he goes, Nicholas, oh, man, like I'm going to South Africa, Africa, and I'm going to the UK on a speaking tour. I wish you could come with me. It'd be so fun. And me being 18 at the time, and I talk about this story in my book and more in depth, I'm like, I'm, I am. That's all I said. I didn't say like, oh, I would love to go. Can you send me the information? I was like, yeah, yeah, I am going. And he's like, okay, weird. So finally I get out of the water five hours later, and I, I go to my truck. I drive home. A few months later, what do I do? I meet him at the airport in the UK at 18 years old with no cell phone, no return flight. And I said, I'm here. I slept on someone's floor in the UK. We spoke to thousands of people. I flew to Africa, 2800 bucks. I borrowed the money from my mom, swiped it on her credit card, and I told her I had the money. I didn't. Went to all these different countries, went to tribes, served the poor in all these different areas, and I made that connection. So like, for me, like I learned from getting around the people that were doing it and doing it with them. Reading the book feels awesome, and reading books are amazing. Like I wrote one. Yeah, it feels good to learn. It's a lot harder to do it. It feels nice to go, this is how you shoot a basketball. You put your hands here, you shoot here, you make the triangle. But it's another thing to go out there and shoot 10,000 reps of free throws. And that's where I believe the actual learning happens with the foundation of the right way to do it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like all performance, like greater performance is through action. Now you have to have the awareness to know how to learn how to shoot the basketball. But once you have that, it's action, action, action. Like I'm scared of learning without action. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dude, you thank you so much. First of all, you um, you're like a plethora of knowledge and insight and wisdom and energy. Um, I'm sitting here with you, and I'm like, no wonder people come to your events because you're entertaining and you're um, you're a lighthouse. I mean, like you know, lighthouse doesn't move, right? It just shines its light, and and totally. things either gravitate towards it or stay away from it, right? It's yeah. one or the other, but. Yeah, thanks for bringing that energy here. Thanks for driving down here and being with me in studio. I really appreciate it. Is there anything, you know, I want to really quick touch on it. All this will be in the show notes, but like, what's the best way? Is the best way for people to find you at the Billion Dollar Bot is the website? Yeah, Nicholas Barely Google. Okay. They know how to spell my name now because they went to nicholasbarely.com slash new year. Nicholas Bailey on Google. Let's connect on social media. I would love to, if they send me a message, a DM on Instagram. Would love to be cool. able to connect. Hear their biggest is takeaways. That under your name or billion dollar? Yeah, Nicholas okay. Bailey. Okay, cool. And the billion dollar body dot com is the website. Yep. Um, is there anything you want to say to like? Well, like, I just, I just want to say stuff? thank you for putting this whole thing together. Like, it's one thing for me to have a message, but if no one hears it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And what I love is that you vet out the people. It's not like they trust you because you bring in good people. So thank you for creating a space and a place where I didn't have, when I was 60 pounds overweight, I needed something to tell me what to do. It was some random guy with fruit, right? I had to learn from my friend committing suicide and driving on the side of the road. Now people get to hear a story and go, huh, maybe today I should do that, right? My dad's in the hospital right now in the ICU. He's recovering, he's doing good. Yet I had those same feelings that I, the same like intuition feelings that I had with that guy with my dad. And I was able to act on them and like help out and make sure like that he's doing good. And so if people can leave and just like start following that, uh, it's just so cool that we get that message out there. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I mean, I'm really inspired by the, the, the group of men. I mean, there's women are so much more open often to support and change and like, and men, it's like, you know, we'll break things before we ask anybody for help or how to figure it out. And so I really, I love that you have a community of men that are literally just helping each other. Not like, Hey, this is the way you're supposed to do it, but we're all just here to support each other. Yeah. And they're there to, and they're there. And the reason it's a men's community is because they don't want the pressures of having, they they feel like they have to be strong for their women. 
and they don't, they don't want them to be there during it. I feel like I run a women's company. It's for women. I'm just fixing the men that are in the women's lives. <laughs> That's what I always tell everyone. I, yeah. I, I run a women's company. I just only work with men. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Dude, thanks a lot. Thank uh, you. This was awesome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.